Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-host, Melissa Colston. Hello. So in honor of the holiday season, it's a family affair on today's episode. So I don't know about you, but holidays are usually a time where I spend with family. Yep, us too. I've got my parents are divorced, so we're constantly running between multiple families, and my husband's fa- parents are divorced too, so it's just <laughs> <laughs> having to make difficult choices and mm-hmm. and a fair amount of driving, but it's easier now that we're back in Kentucky. It was, it was a lot harder when we were in South Carolina, and everybody was here, mm-hmm. but now that we're back, it's, I mean, there's still hard choices, but <laughs> <laughs> but you do what you have to do, and hopefully enjoy the time together. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, none of my family lives here, so we end up doing lots of traveling. Um, especially at Christmas, we do a big <clears throat> road trip, um, hitting up my husband's family in South Carolina and then my family in Florida. Um, so I was kind of thinking about audiobooks a lot for this month's podcast. Oh, that's a good idea. I should have thought about that, too. Although I did listen to one of the ones that I'm going to talk about, and it, it was a great listen, and it would be great for an epic road trip because it's 18 hours long. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's very engrossing, I promise. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll talk about it more. But, you All know, right. having so many different families to visit, is a it's a great problem to have sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it it's it can be exhausting, that's for sure. Yeah, but... Yeah, like you said, it's it's a good problem to have. <laughs> All right, well, without further ado, would you like to s- kick us off? Sure. I give a, a sneak preview of my first book. It is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, and it is your classic, epic, family, multi-generational uh, tome. It's, it is a big book, and it is a long audio book, but I listened to it on audio, mm-hmm. and... Like, as I was listening to it, I kept thinking to myself, wow, I'm way in, more invested in this than I anticipated. <laughs> I don't know why I was surprised by that, but um, the the characters are just really, really well-developed, and um, I, I would recommend it on audio, even if you don't necessarily listen to long books mm-hmm. like that, um, but part of my time listening to it was on a road trip to D.C., so that kind of helped, too. Mm-hmm. It helped me. I was already, I'd already started it. I didn't start it on that road trip. So, um, you know, listening to it for three hours or four hours in a row wasn't that big a deal. Right. But anyway, it's a multi-generational family epic, like I said. And it begins with Sunja, a Korean woman who marries and moves from rural Korea to Japan in 1933. And the story follows her and her descendants through the 1980s. So it covers this huge span of time. Um, and, but not in a way that it skims over anything. Like you feel where you drop into the story over the time frame. um, she really delves into these important moments in this family's history. It's just great. Um, although I, I learned a lot about the history of Japanese colonialism and Korean oppression in Japan. Um, but the way that she weaves that aspect of life for those folks into the storylines, it wasn't distracting at all. 
and mm-hmm. it sort of helped flesh out those characters even more. Like she just, you know, described these situations that are obviously descriptive of Japanese colonialism and racism, but you know, it's just through their daily experiences. It's mm-hmm. not she's not expounding on on these these aspects of their lives. Um, but when I got to the end of the book, it, it didn't feel like I'd listened to it for 19, 18, 19 hours. Um, it, it's a large book, but it's definitely not a slog. Um, it, it, was, it was just a really, really great experience, and I highly recommend it for anybody that has a large road trip ahead of them. <laughs> um, it's not a light read either, but Lee's writing makes it compelling and engaging. Um, and for what to pair with it... Um, two of Pachinko's main characters start selling homemade kimchi at a stall in Japan uh, after they move to Japan. They start selling homemade kimchi to bring in some extra money. So I thought the book would pair well with a dish called bacon kimchi fried rice from one of my favorite YouTube channels. Her, it's Asian at Home is the, is the name of the channel, but the the woman that runs it is Sung Kyung Lung Guest. And she's she's hilarious. I don't know how to describe <laughs> her. She's a complicated woman. Um, and her English is, it's a thing of beauty. Because she's from Korea and English is very much not her first language. But you can, you can understand her just fine. But it's like, just seeing how she puts words together is, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy watching her show. Um, if if you're all at all inclined to watch YouTube cooking channels, which there are some really great ones out mm-hmm. there. We, we watch a few and um, I learn a lot, but they're also just enjoyable and, and light when you need something light. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely recommend checking out Asian at Home. Um, her recipes aren't necessarily always the easiest to make or the ingredients aren't always the easiest to find, but she's so encouraging that like you feel like you can do it, even if you've <laughs> never done anything like what she's doing. Um, and you know, we're looking forward to making kimchi at home. We just haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, but until you do get around to making your own kimchi, uh, you can find a jar at your local Asian market, or um, even just at Kroger. I've seen it there too at your general supermarket. Um, we've got several great Asian markets in Lexington, though, if, if you're local, uh, check them out. And like a lot of Korean recipes, this one looks to be delicious and decadent. I haven't made it personally, but I bet it would be great. Um, if you can't find some of the Korean ingredients in Sung Kyung's recipe, the book Korean Food Made Simple that we have here in the library by Judy Ju also has a kimchi fried rice recipe that relies only on the kimchi for flavoring. That sounds it's really good. I, I remember, first off, hearing about Pachinko, so I'm glad to hear a you know, personal review yeah. of it because <laughs> um, I remember being interested in it. But, um, yeah, kimchi, we um, – there's some – there's a brand at Whole Foods, actually, that I, that I like. Um, and, like, there's so many things you can add it to, like – scrambled eggs yeah. and grilled cheese and <laughs> it, I mean just the list yeah can go on and on a friend of mine does that with sauerkraut too where she'll just like 
put it in soup, mm-hmm. like tomato soup with sauerkraut, and it, it just adds this. It doesn't necessarily overpower the flavor mm-hmm. of whatever the base is, but it adds some nice crunchiness and tang. Yeah, it's great. Well, since you started us off with a multi-generational saga, I'm going to start with mine, the (laughs) one that I chose for today, and that's Caramello by Sandra Cisneros. Oh, that's such a good book. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm I'm glad you read it. Um, Yeah, so we are, we have always been big fans of Sandra Cisneros here on Books and Bites. Um, I've talked about her memoir before and even talked about House on Mango Street, and now I found out you're also a fan of Caramello. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so if you've read The House on Mango Street, it's um, then you know it's a kind of brief and focuses on a young Mexican-American girl and her family's lives in Chicago. And But Caramello is a very sweeping family saga set in both the U.S. and Mexico, it begins when the narrator, Celia, and she's also called Lala and Lalita, I think those are her only nicknames, um, and her family head to Mexico from Chicago for their annual summer trip, where they stay with Celia's grandparents and a host of aunts, uncles, and cousins, both Mexican and Mexican-American. The story then branches out, going back in time to Celia's grandparents' and parents' childhoods and young adulthoods. So although the plot is more all-encompassing and dramatic than The House on Mango Street, Caramello still retains Cisneros' trademark use of short, lyrical chapters. It's also quite funny in places. As Celia notes, quote, You're the author of the telenovela of your life, all right. Comedy or tragedy? Choose. Unquote. In Caramello, Cisneros chooses both. So I read this book when it first came out back in 2002, but I have been rereading it, kind of mixing between the audio and the um, and the book. Um, have you ever heard? Cisneros read before? I haven't. I, I read all of her, everything that I read of hers I read in high school, so I need to go back. Well, she has an interesting voice, and the first time I heard her read, I was like, no way. <laughs> this is, I thought, because I thought it was the house on Mango Street, and I thought that she was, like, creating this child childish voice you know specific for this character but then I saw her in person and that's just her voice voice. (laughs) (laughs) so um you know I she does a great job with the reading and she does vary her voice some and you know in pitch she does change it up for the different characters um but you know just know that that may bother some people that her her very high voice um but i i have been really enjoying listening to it on audio because i then i'm able to hear the spanish pronunciations and there's so much spanish mixed in with the english in the book that it really gives you the feeling of what it might must be like to be in a household like that where they're speaking both languages yeah i've listened to several audiobooks um like the 
Daniel Jose Older's uh, Shadow Shaper series is like that, where mm-hmm. he he includes a lot of Spanish and Pachinko has a. F- I mean, it's not a lot of Korean, um, but f- enough that it's, you know, it's sometimes nice to hear that in mm-hmm. an authentic accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so food is very central to this book, um, from the grandmother's mole sauce to the Americanized tortillas that the uncles eat, complete with processed American cheese, <laughs> which horrifies <laughs> the grandmother. Um, and we have a strong collection of Mexican cookbooks that we'll link to on our blog. But I also wanted to make a plug for my favorite Mexican restaurant, Tortilleria Itacaria Ramirez. It's just off Versailles Road in the Cardinal Valley neighborhood of Lexington. And it's received quite a bit of attention from the national press. Um, it even made an appearance on the Gravy podcast from the Southern Foodways Alliance. And they made a little film about it, which we'll link to on our blog. Um, one of the things that makes this place so special is the from scratch tortillas. They, um, the Ramirez's make corn tortillas with corn. They cook and grind themselves. They brought this tortilla machine back from Mexico. Wow. <laughs> and uh, the tortillas are just amazing. And you can actually buy a package of tortillas when you go there um, and take them home with you. Um, and we live nearby, so a lot of times we get burritos for takeout, but um, I highly recommend going there and actually eating the tacos because they're on the corn tortillas, which are just so wonderful. <laughs> sounds amazing. I'm really upset now that I haven't been there yet. Well, we'll have to go. Yeah, now you know about it. <laughs> um, and the tacos are served in the traditional way with just cilantro and uh, onion and a little choice, you know, a little salsa, whatever your choice is. Um, I don't think they need anything else. Um, and as a bonus, you'll often find a telenovela playing on the TV while you eat. <laughs> Lovely. All right. Well, my next book isn't exactly a hidden gem in the world of fiction these days, but I couldn't help but include it in my picks for this month. It's Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. The novel is set in Shaker Heights, Ohio, and centers on a small neighborhood and how its inhabitants respond when a single mom and her daughter move to town. Both the mother and the daughter get involved with the different families on their block, sort of willingly or not, and their influence has lasting effects. Ever since I finished this book, I've kept marveling, like I keep coming back to it, about how Ng does such an amazing job at presenting the story from several different perspectives of different characters. So she's, I think, like eight or nine different characters. She Mm -hmm. has chapters from the perspective of each one. Um, And I think they each get at least two chapters. So you kind of circle back around to them throughout the book. And she weaves the perspectives together without sacrificing character development or emotional impact. It's, you know, it's not a unique way to tell the story, but she does it in such a beautiful way that it's sort of a standout in that way of writing, Mm -hmm. I think. 
<laughs> I don't think I'm alone. It's been on the <laughs> bestseller list for weeks and weeks. Um, but the novel is just beautifully written and well worth the hype. Also, if, like me, you're someone that forgets details almost immediately, uh, I remember so many details about this book. I was thinking about it last week, and it's just like, I remember almost everything that happened, and that almost never happens to me. I forget everything I read almost immediately. <laughs> but for whatever reason, this book has stuck with me. I read it back in January, and now it's November, so that's a pretty good long time for me to remember something. <laughs> um, so if you haven't read Little Fires Everywhere, if you're among the very few people in this country that haven't read it yet, I would oh, definitely... That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely recommend it. Um, it it's it's like a quietly powerful book. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and because it has been constantly checked out, I haven't been able to get a copy to find what they might eat in the book to recommend <laughs> with it. <laughs> um, so you'll just have to read it and then figure out for yourself what to pair with it. <laughs> it's a challenge. It's a challenge. This one's on you. <laughs> So the next book I wanted to talk about is The Middlesteens by Jamie Attenberg. And this book centers around a Jewish family in Chicago and its suburbs. After more than 30 years of marriage, Richard Middlestein abruptly leaves his wife Edie at a time when the rest of the family believes she needs him most. Edie is obese, severely diabetic, and recovering from surgery on her leg. Raised to associate food with love, Edie is unable to control her overeating, and her family believes she is slowly killing herself. The story is told from the point of view of multiple people, I guess much like Little Fires Everywhere, including Edie and Richard, their children, Robin and Benny, and their granddaughter, Emily. One of the funniest chapters is narrated by a collective a collective group of their old friends from synagogue who point out, quote, we were at the age where we had almost been forgotten, but were not quite old enough to be heralded for still being alive after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most poignant chapters is told from the point of view of Edie's new boyfriend, Kenneth, a widower and chef at Edie's favorite Chinese restaurant, who is surprised to have found love again. He cooks Edie elaborate meals that will have you dialing the number for your favorite Chinese takeout. During one visit, Robin watches her mother eat, quote, platter after platter of sizzling, decadent, rich, sodium sugar-drenched food, steaming plush pork buns and bright green broccoli and thick lobster sauce, sticky brown noodles paired with sweet shrimp and glazed chicken, briny, chewy clams swimming in a subtle black bean gravy, unquote, and more. The Middlesteens is about appetite. It's about our complicated relationships with food and sex, and it's about our desire for a lasting connection with other people. I listened to this as an audiobook read by Molly Ringwald, of all people, <laughs> who did a great job portraying all of the many voices and conveying, conveying the book's pathos and humor. I think it would be a good book to listen to on a holiday road trip, but be forewarned that you may shed some tears along the way. 
You may also find yourself heartened by this family who love each other desperately, even with all their faults and mistakes. If you'd like to make try making your own Chinese food to pair with the Middlesteins, we have a great collection of Chinese cookbooks. I really like Fuchsia Dunlop's Every Grain of Rice, Simple Chinese Home Cooking, because not only does it provide beautiful photographs of the food, it also includes a lot of background information on ingredients and the history of the food. Even if you don't actually make any of the recipes, and I confess that I haven't, it's a great <laughs> cookbook to just read. In fact, I have read it and not made <laughs> any of the recipes out of it, too. <laughs> oh, have you? Yeah. <laughs> I copied a lot of, uh, like, it's several so of the recipes. But yeah. But I haven't gotten no. to it yet. <laughs> I think, um, you know, especially with traditional Chinese cooking, it's a little intimidating because, the you know, it's designed the way it's eaten is multiple dishes at a time so mm -hmm. it's just a little intimidating I think to it's a lot of work yeah especially when you're used to just making like one thing mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah but anyway maybe one of these days, one of these days. <laughs> we can have a, a potluck and each make something <laughs> um I think an, another one that seemed a little less intimidating was Xiao Qing Chao's Chinese Soul Food, a friendly guide for homemade dumplings, stir fries, soups, and more. And it focuses on Chinese comfort food. The author's parents owned a Chinese restaurant in Columbia, Missouri, that sounds a lot like Kenneth's restaurant in the Middlesteens. Um, and she provides traditional Chinese home cooking recipes, but she also includes some recipes for what she calls guilty pleasures, you know, those <laughs> Americanized versions of Chinese food, like cashew chicken or beef with broccoli. It's nice to have both. Uh, absolutely. And, and she <laughs> agrees with that. <laughs> Sometimes families, dealing with families, is not always a fun or joyous event. And, um, you know, if you find yourself in the predicament of having to socialize with family, even though you don't want to, maybe take a look at the darker side of things with My Sister the Serial Killer by <laughs> Oyingkan Braithwaite. It is, uh, it comes out a week from today when we're recording this podcast, but um, it is, it'll be out November 20th. And um, it is, I, I just finished reading it and it is a very fast read, um, but it is definitely dark as you can imagine from the title. <laughs> it is, it is a satire, um, but from the title alone, you can sort of figure out quite a bit about the plot. <laughs> um, it opens up with, a, a dead boyfriend and uh, <laughs> her sister, the serial killer who killed him and the sister who has to clean it up and goes from there. Um, it's told from the perspective of a nurse named Corede who lives in Lagos, whose sister has killed three men, the third of which opens the book. When her sister Ayula sets her sights on a cute doctor that Karede might just love, Karede is forced to grapple with how to protect the man she might love from the sister that she'll do anything to uh, cover for and take care of. And uh, even though she clashes with her all the time, they she, she will do anything for her. 
it's a complicated situation to be sure. Ayula reminds me a lot of the assassin psychopath from um, Villanelle from the BBC show Killing Eve and the book codenamed Villanelle. Uh, she's beautiful, wily, manipulative, and just really into murdering people. <laughs> um, but much like the show, my sister, the serial killer, examines and satirizes societal standards for beauty and women through a lens of violence. The writing style is so pointed that you hardly even notice the commentary that Braithwaite weaves throughout the story. As dark it is, as it is to recommend as a pairing, I would suggest making the pineapple upside down cake that Kurede serves to the cute doctor before his first date with Ayula. Um, and I'm not going to tell you how it ends because that would totally <laughs> spoil it. Um, but for the pineapple upside down cake, they don't describe it very much, but I have used a recipe before from the Cook's Illustrated Cookbook and like many Cook's Illustrated recipes, is a huge pain to make. <laughs> but this one's actually worth it. Not all of the recipes are worth it. This one's actually worth it. Um, rather than just plopping pineapple rounds into the bottom of a pan and topping with batter and baking, this recipe asks you to cook the pineapple together with brown sugar until the pineapple is soft, and then you take that mixture out of the pan and let it drain. And you take the juices that drain off from that mixture and cook them down into a caramel. Mm. And then you put that in the bottom of the pan, put the pineapple in, and then put the batter on top. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculously decadent. Yeah, that sounds really good. And it's so good. (laughs) It's like the best pineapple upside down cake I've ever had. It's a far cry from the maraschino cherries of (laughs) my childhood. But... um, it, it seemed to pair well with this this <laughs> dark, dark book. <laughs> it's like, it, you know, if you're feeling stabby, <laughs> it's a good book to pick up. Yeah, I, I can imagine some, some of us might feel stabby around the holidays. Yeah, you know, sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's good to get it out through reading rather than... Through fiction, is, it's a good mm-hmm. way. Yeah, well, it's, it, I was really surprised because it is so short. I read it. You could read it in one sitting. I read it in two, basically. Um, But, like, the chapters are really short, and there's a lot of them. So, like, you just get a quick scene, and then you're done, and you're moving forward. And But she really brings in a lot of the, what I can imagine would be a complicated relationship between a sister and (laughs) her murdering sister and... A lot of family stuff comes into it. It's just, it's got a really flashy cover, too. If you haven't heard about it yet, I bet you will soon. <laughs> All right, thanks. Okay, so the last book I wanted to talk about is um, Complete Opposite Direction from that, I think. <laughs> Um, but it's a book that Melissa recommended on one of her first Books and Bites podcasts. And it's called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. And this was a book that I listened to on audio. And I think it would make a great book to listen to on a holiday road trip. Um, the, the book is a kind of road trip novel itself. 
because it centers on the crew of the spaceship, the Wayfarer, as they tunnel wormholes to a distant planet. That's about as much sci-fi language as, <laughs> as is in the book. So if, like me, you are not into sci-fi or space opera, it is you described it as cozy sci-fi. Um, I think you could also maybe describe it as domestic sci-fi because it kind of focuses on everyday life, day-to-day life on the ship, how they interact with one another, what they eat, how they support and compete with one another. And um, the reason I chose it for this episode's theme is because it's about a chosen family rather than a blood family. Yeah, so so like I said, I recommend it for people who don't normally read science fiction. Um, but if you like your fiction to include lots of quirky, likable characters, clever dialogue, and a feel-good tone, then this might be the book for you. And food does play a pretty important role in The Long Way to a Small, Angry Planet. But a lot of it, like the fire shrimp snack or... <laughs> Dr. Chef's smoky, ba- smoky Buns is imaginary, which, I mean, she kind of makes your mouth water with this imaginary food, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a skill that she has for sure. <laughs> I don't know how she does it. <laughs> Even, you know, those bugs sounded pretty tasty. Um, so you pl- paired it with one of your favorite comfort foods, mushroom bourguignon. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd pair it with one of mine, um, pasta con ceci, or pasta with chickpeas, um, which my husband and I actually call it grown-up spaghettios. We have a much less fancy name for it. Um, it is incredibly easy and just uses a few ingredients and they're all pantry staples so it's perfect for spaceship travel and those nights when you just want something fast without having to go to the store Um, so you just fry up some garlic and a little olive oil and add some tomato paste salt a can of chickpeas boiling water and some small pasta shapes like macaroni and that's about it Considering how few ingredients the recipe contains, it's kind of ridiculous how rich and flavorful it is. Yeah, we we make a version that we first had in um, a town I studied abroad in. We had it and it was like, this is amazing. We have to make it at home. But you just, that's basically all it is as well. But you add um, bacon. Yeah. Just you a know, little bit of bacon. I, I, you don't have to add much. Um we but were actually even talking about is great. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't I mean I don't it definitely doesn't need more. Doesn't need. But I I could see I mean, you know, bacon. It adds like this smoky dimension. <laughs> we cool. we were contemplating adding an egg, like putting an egg on top. Mm. Haven't actually done it, but I bet that would be good. I think that might improve it as well. If you're just really feeling decadent. But it's so rich, like without it, I don't anyway. It's it's great. You should try it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. We're taking a break from the podcast for December, but we'll be back with a new episode in January, and we hope you'll join us. We record in the recording studio of the Jessamine County Public Library. You can find out more about the recording studio on our website at jesspublib.org. 
Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whidden from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott on his website, adoreforadesk.com.